Live from our man caves in Virginia Beach, this is MLS Gone Wild, where Blem and Mike D bring you the latest news, rumors, analytics, predictions, and all things MLS and American soccer. Let's get it going, Blem. Hello and welcome to MLS Gone Wild, Season 3, Episode 10. This is your host, Blem. Hello! It's Tuesday. I ate tacos. And my name is Mike D. Thanks for taking the time out to listen to our podcast, listeners. That's funny. I also ate tacos for lunch today during a department head meeting. But MLS Week 4 is in the books. Only 30 more weeks to go. But we're starting to see a clear picture of who might be the contenders and who might be the pretenders for the Supporters' Shield. The new-look Sounders lead the race on 10 points through four games, while their 2020 Western Conference Finals opponents, Minnesota United FC, are dragging the bottom with zero points and a negative seven goal differential. Yikes. But some things did go back to normal this week, as Wando scored a brace off the bench to complete the comeback for the Quakes. King Joseph is back with his first goal post-ACL surgery, and Freddie Montero scored on Cascadia Cup rivals Portland Timbers for the first time and can you believe it, nine years. We will discuss all of this in depth, plus more, and later in the show, we'll be joined by a loyal crew fan and a radio show host to discuss the also-sad Columbus Crew D-brand. Mike D, let's kick this episode off by discussing Real Salt Lake for San Jose Earthquakes match that kicked off week four on Friday night. Heading into the match, the Quakes and RSL sat second and third in the West, and RSL were the only team left in the league with a perfect three points per game. Rubio Rubin opened the scoring in the 43rd minute with a golasso of a bicycle kick. But ultimately, Chris Wondolowski stole the show just 15 minutes after entering the game as he completed the Quakes' comeback with a brace, earning himself MLS Player of the Week honors, and oh yeah, tying Landon Donovan's mark for total goals in all MLS competitions with 170. Mike D, what were your thoughts on the match, and how in the world is Chris Wondolowski still producing moments like this at 38 years old? I am. I, I my emotions are all over the place with this one. Um, first of all, I want to say I thought Justin Merrim had a really good game. He had three total chances on the night, which may not seem like a lot, but Justin Merrim was all over the place. He had a nice shot in the 17th minute off the bar, nearly scored again in the 56th minute, taking Tommy Thompson 1v1, uh, just to put it wide right. And then in the 73rd minute again, he combines with Krylock in the left corner, takes a touch inside the top of the 18, and pulls another shot wide right. Uh, but altogether, I mean, this game was very high tempo, back and forth. But most of the match, RSL was creating the deadlier chances from what I saw uh, for most of the game. Then, like you said, Wando comes on in the 72nd minute, and San Jose are still down 1-0. What happens next is vintage Wando. In the 83rd to, minute, go ahead. In the 80- think. And to think, a couple weeks ago in the opening match against Houston, we saw him miss a, miss a goal that he was literally inside the goal. All he had to do was basically touch it in the net, and he missed it. And here we are. He's scoring a brace and leading his team to victory. Go ahead, we were, Mike D. Sorry. We were saying that it was time to hang up the boots. But when he comes on, in the 83rd minute, a low-driven pass comes across from the left side of the 18 where Carlos Fierro gets on the end of it. Ochoa obviously – or not obviously, but Ochoa makes the save, doesn't secure it, and who's in the right spot to clean it up, Chuck? You guessed it. It's Wando. And not even four minutes later, he does it again with a cross from Fierro this time on the right side. And the moral of the story is he's in between two defenders and tucks it away with a nice header. You got to mark the man touch tight. If you don't, 
What do you expect with one of the most deadly goal poachers in all MLS history? What do you expect? That, and you said it. You, you, you just defined Chris Wondolowski over how many ever years he's played. He is a goal poacher. You're not going to see him scoring wander goals. You're not going to see him scoring the Rubio Rubin bicycle kick. He's a one-touch kind of finisher in the box. He is your poacher. He's going to hang out around the six, and he's going to take his opportunities, well, sometimes when he gets them. Yeah, I mean, the moral of the story here is that RSL probably feels like they should have won this game, and they probably should have. But if you're not touch tight, on Chris Wondolowski in the dying minutes of a game, he's going to make you pay for it. And that's what happened here. The San, Ho- San Jose earthquakes are fun, and they're even more fun the later at night it gets. But in saying that, nobody expected Real Salt Lake, like I said in the intro to this question, nobody expected them to be the only team in the league heading into this one with a perfect three points per game. And they've found a guy that's finally coming into his own, Rubio Rubin, who we haven't really talked a whole lot about yet. Uh, but now he's really taking full advantage of his opportunity. And I know one of the air quotes here, marquee signings for RSL in the offseason was Bobby Wood, ex-US men's national team striker. And, you know, he's been regarded. He played for, I believe, Hoffenheim over in the Bundesliga, Bundesliga 2, whatever. But a lot of people are like, oh, Bobby Wood's going to walk in and he's going to start. But it looks like that's Rubio Rubin's position. And RSL are also pretty fun. And Demir Krylak is a very underrated, underappreciated, under-talked-about box-to-box midfielder in MLS. No, I couldn't agree more. Bobby Wood's been on the scene for a long time, and Rubio Rubin is is killing it right now. So he's definitely going to have to fight for that spot when he comes in. And Crylock is just so much fun to watch. So much fun to watch. He's just high, highly energetic. He he gets he gets highly involved in the game. And um, his it, one of my favorite moments of the match was the combination with JM Nine. I mean, us being Crew fans, obviously we we have a little soft spot in our heart for JM Nine. But um, yeah, I couldn't agree more. Yeah, Justin Miriam was another one of those underappreciated guys, MLS vets. I remember, shout out to Greg Graven here. Greg and I were watching him back in the day when he used to play for University of Michigan, go Buckeyes, but we were watching him there, and then he came to the crew, and we love JM9. He's kind of bounced around, but he is, he's finding success at Real Salt Lake, so I'm happy that you did bring his name up there. Uh, shout out to Justin Merrim. And also – you know, later I did say we're going to talk about the rebrand, and Justin Merrim was one of the ex-Columbus Crew players that vocally expressed his displeasure with the rebrand. He sure was, but another MLS vet proved he can still produce in his 30s this weekend as Freddie Montero scored what turned out to be the game-winning goal for the Sounders and his first against Cascadia Cup opponents, Portland Timbers, in nine years, as you had mentioned in our intro. Heading into this season, we weren't sure what Freddie's role would be in the Sounders' two-striker system, but it's clear now as he has two goals and two Sounders appearances off the bench so far this year. Is this 3-5-2 Sounders system the deadliest in the league, and how does the two-striker system of Rui Diaz paired with either Bruin or Montero work so well? All right, so first I want to talk about how they are the most deadly offense in MLS because I think that they are the Sounders are tied for the most goals scored through four games with 10 goals seven of those coming from their forwards like I'll talk about a little bit later Raul Rui Diaz and Freddie Montero two coming from left wing back Brad Smith who plays like a third forward to be honest with you and one wander goal from Jao Paulo while the Sounders are playing with two dedicated strikers Brad Smith's average position on the pitch is as high or higher than the strikers when you look at his heat map and we are worried about the Sounders without Jordan Morris running the left wing I don't think so. Christian Roldan has been given the freedom to roam wide and particularly roam wide right and create overloads on the wings with his brother Alex, which has proven effective through four weeks. 
And I have nothing but good words to say about the Sounders through four weeks. And they are doing all of this without Nico Ladero. Even without Nico, the Sounders may be the deadliest attack in the league. Now, just imagine when he is back and he is 100%. Okay, so as for the striker partnership up front, Bruin and Rui Diaz have been the two starters throughout all four games so far this season. Bruin primarily plays underneath Rui Diaz, almost as like a false nine, combining with the midfield, and he's not afraid to do the defensive work uh, in the offensive third to lead the press as well. And the Sounders love to get the ball into the box from the wide area. And with a two-striker system, they are guaranteed to have at least two guys in the box off the cross. Bruin is a big body that occupies space and defenders, while Raul Rui Diaz is the fox in the box. Bring in the Sounders' all-time leading goal scorer off the bench against a fatigued defense. It's a wrap, and we've seen that as Freddie Montero has two goals and an assist in just over 36 minutes played. We've only seen two appearances from Freddie Montero. He's come in both times in the 72nd minute. So this guy's only so 18 minutes a pop, 36 minutes plus stoppage time. He's got two goals and an assist. That is efficiency, and that is what you should and expect to get from the Sounders' all-time leading goal scorer. I'm not sure if Brian Schmetzer is going to look to switch Freddie Montero for Will Bruin or if they're going to keep that Will Bruin combination, Will Bruin, Rui Diaz combination up front and continue bringing Freddie Montero off the bench. But whatever combination they do, they're getting chances, they're getting goals. But I'm really cheering for Will Bruin this year. He came, he tore his ACL in 2019, had a rough go in 2020 with, I believe, only one goal and one assist, and he already has two assists on the season so far. So, structurally, tactically, the way Brian Schmetzer is lining up the Seattle Sounders. We were all skeptical. I am skeptical no more. The two-striker two system is working for the Sounders. You said a lot of things there, and I agree with a lot of them. My, my main points that I want to touch on here, first of all, I love Will Bruin. I have a man crush on Will Bruin. You, you heard it here first. I don't care. Sue me, okay? Will Bruin is a Swiss army knife. He can hold up play could turn the last defender or even make an explosive run into dangerous places. His play style with Rui Diaz, they complement each other because Will Bruin can do anything that the opposite striker isn't going to do. And Rui Diaz can do the same thing. Rui Diaz can score from anywhere, right? So this is what, you know, makes Bruin hard to anticipate is because he's got so many different facets to his game. And Rui Diaz is all over the place and, like as such, can score from anywhere in and around the 18. And what I've loved so much thus far is how these two complement each other and kind of what we saw in the 11th minute of this game where Christian Roldan plays a big ball over the top to Will Bruin who chests it down and fights to the end line, who then creates a chance by getting a low-driven cross to Rudy Diaz who ultimately doesn't score, but we saw in the last game that they played. I can't remember who they played off the top of my head, but he scored that goal. And you almost have to think, well, you do a double take because he scores those goals without even without even thinking right so that's the kind of play that I love to see between these two players is Will Bruin doing what he needs to do for Rui Diaz and if if Rui Diaz needs to do that it's just a flip of a switch kind of a thing um but yeah you, you said a lot of things that I agree with yeah Rui Diaz he doesn't miss those ones very often I, I was watching that play earlier and it should have been three assists on the year so far for Will Bruin and a lot of the stuff that Will Bruin just talks about, you talked about his hold-up play and his combination, being able to turn a guy and him being a Swiss Army knife, 
with being a Swiss Army knife on the soccer field, a lot of those stats don't show up on the on the stat box on the box score. So he is an, un, another underappreciated, undervalued guy. But go back to 2017, he scored 11 goals for the Seattle Sounders. He had that injury in 2019. You know, he's, he's fighting through some, you know, he's being resilient right now. This is kind of his comeback year as it is Chicharito. So hopefully we see a resurgence of Will Bruin. Maybe we'll see him get back to, you know, maybe double-digit goals. Who knows? He could be a pivotal part to that offense this year. Who knows? I, I really just, like you said, you don't see the stats. You have to watch him play. And that's what I love so much about it is he's one of those guys that's not really caring so much about the stats, but what does he have to do to make someone else get in a good position or, or put the team in a good position to score? And it's part of the reason I love him so much. All right, folks, you heard it here. Probably not first, but the Sounders are good. So while the Sounders are thriving, their 2020 Western Conference Finals opponents are struggling to say the least. The Loons sit dead last in the Supporter Shield standing with zero points and a negative seven goal differential through four games. Apparently reinforcements are coming, but, it's, but is it already too late? In Matt Doyle's recent article on MLS.com, he wrote that, in quote, no MLS team has ever started 0-0-4 in a normal year and made the postseason. Can Minnesota United FC turn it around, and is Adrian Heath on the hot seat? I think the Loons can turn it around. We saw just how dangerous they can be in their last match against Colorado in the first half in under 25 minutes where they scored two goals. What they cannot do is what happened in the second half, which is fall apart and allow the other team to take over and control possession of the game and dictate how the tempo is going. Um, the team plays really well in possession and has shown that through the first four games with, you know, the exception of kind of the, the Seattle game. Um, they play really well in possession, but the mentality has to be consistent for 90 minutes. I'm not sure that Adrian Heath is in the hot seat quite yet, but it's real close. And the pressure is at an all-time high to produce. Yeah, the seat is warm. I think they exceeded expectations last year after bringing in Emmanuel Reynoso and him linking up with Kevin Molino. Then you lose Kevin Molino in the offseason. And I've talked about it to you personally through text messages and everything. I've said it probably on other podcasts. I just can't remember. But I say it so often that they're missing a partner in the midfield for Emmanuel Reynoso. And the triangle they've been playing in the midfield with Will Trapp, Osvaldo Alonso, and Jan Gregus is not going to cut it. Hassani Dotson needs to be in that middle, in that midfield triangle. He did start out right last game. He did score a goal earlier in the season. We've seen him start out left. And that is just not where he needs to be. He needs to be an integral part of that midfield play. And they just have too many of the same players in the midfield. Like I just named the Alonzo Trap and Greg, who's midfield triangle. They're all essentially the same player. Yeah, uh, each of them have uh, a little bit more of a strength here and there. One can hit the long ball. One plays better defensively in Alonzo. And Will Trapp is just kind of that really holding guy that's just the pivotal part of the midfield. But they need more help for Emmanuel Reynoso. They need to figure it out. They need to get Fragpanye out left. And they have a new striker coming in as well. There was big anticipation for Abila up top, and he has underperformed so far. He doesn't look 100% fit. He doesn't look like he's necessarily fitting into that system right away. Granted, the season is still young, but like Matt Doyle said, no team that is winless and drawless through the first four games has ever made the playoffs. So is Adrian Heath's seat hot? Uh, is it warm? It's, it's definitely. definitely warm. If they keep underperforming the way that they are, I don't know how much longer they're going to keep Adrian Heath around. We shall see. We shall see. But 
let's switch gears now to the kids that are stealing the show for the New York Red Bulls. Caden Clark recorded his third goal on the season, yet it was his first goal ever scored that wasn't a certified banger. But I want to focus on Frankie Amaya, who opened up his account for the Red Bulls after asking to be traded for the from the two-time Wooden Spoon winning FC Cincinnati. The first all first overall super draft pick in 2019 had this to say in the offseason regarding his trade request. Quote, I have asked the club to trade me as I don't feel my dreams can be achieved in Cincinnati, end quote. Blake, what are your thoughts on Frankie's mentality as a young player and him finding early success with the Red Bulls? I will absolutely always bet on a young player who is willing to bet on himself. He knows his potential. He went to a team that is known to develop young talent in the New York Red Bulls. We've seen what they've done. And for him to – some people would say his mentality is weak, like, oh, you know, he's losing. He can't, he's, he can't take the heat, so he's getting out of the kitchen. That's, that's not the case. The kid has big aspirations for himself, Euro, European aspirations for himself. And he's trying to take that next step in developing in his career. And we've seen that already so far with the New York Red Bulls. And just they've seen his quality of play in the offensive third playing as their number 10 or the box-to-box or number 10 midfielder. Whereas when he was playing for Cincinnati, he was playing the defensive midfielder role. And Cincinnati, who, like you just said, are the two-time Wooden Spoon winners, weren't seeing those ultimate qualities that he has and that he can provide for you in the offensive third. And we've seen that in Struber's high-press system right alongside Caden Clark and the other young guys. So, like I said, I'm, I'm willing to bet on a kid that's willing to bet on himself. And he's not mentally weak for demanding a trade. I believe that he saw his worth and he bet on himself. And he said, I'm going to get mine while I'm still young and I can. I, I mean, I, I agree with you. Everyone's going to, you know, ultimately at the end of the day have their opinion, right? You know, everybody has their opinion on this and that. And, you know, in this specific case, how players should behave and what they should or shouldn't do, right? But nobody can really understand the feeling until they're in that situation themselves. I think he had a year or two left in his generation Adidas contract. So could he have stuck it out to see things got better? Maybe. Sure. But like you said, if you're a young player with big aspirations, I can understand not wanting to waste precious time because that's exactly what it is. It's precious time that you need to develop as a pro because everything can change in an instant. You know, everything can change in an instant from the perspective of you're the best player to maybe not so sought after and somebody else is coming in right behind you who might be that much better. So nobody wants to play for the worst team in the league. Let's just face it. And as the number one draft pick in 2019, he wants to go to a place where he can develop and achieve his goals. So I think it's a good fit for Frankie. He started his last two games with the Red Bulls, who are operating well, and his chemistry with, with uh, Clark is only bound to improve. Started in the last two games, and what are the results in the last two games? Dubs, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, he's gotten uh, Strubert his first two dubs as a New York Red Bulls coach. So, again, good for him. I'm happy to see it, and I love seeing the New York Red Bulls continue to develop these young players and for these young players to say, Hey, they have a system that works. I want to go play there. And again, I don't blame them. Have you seen Cincinnati this year? They signed a $13 million Brazilian and it looks like a bandaid on a bullet hole at this point. Shaping up to be much of the same third wooden spoon incoming. You heard it here first. Yeah. So Mike, we've talked a lot about goals. We've talked about Wando. We've talked about Freddie Montero. We just talked about Frankie Amaya who just opened his account for the Red Bulls. But aside from the goals that were scored this weekend, 
there were some really special celebrations that brought out emotions we haven't felt since the first two weeks of 2020. Mike D, what moment from this past weekend of MLS play brought out these emotions for you and really touched your heart? <laughs> really touched my heart. <laughs> um, I'm going to go with Jonathan DeSanto's celebration after scoring the game winner, what would be the game winner, and Chicharito after the game in El Trafico. So in an article written after the game for MLS.com, goalkeeper for the Galaxy, Jonathan Bond, said this, in quote, the atmosphere was electric, end quote, and, end quote, I would have loved to have seen the stadium at 100% capacity because I know that my defenders couldn't hear me very well, and we were only at 25% capacity, so that's how you know it was loud, end quote. The Galaxy were beaten 6-2 by LAFC last year and one of their worst starts to a season in franchise history with one point in four games. The team had been receiving a lot of criticism, and rightfully so, some good changes were made in the offseason leading into 2021, and there was hope. But as always, there was also naysayers. I was one of those naysayers. Chicharito has bounced back, and Vanny is leading the Galaxy in the right direction as they are sitting third in the West with nine points over four games. And the passion in Jonathan DeSantos' response after scoring that goal and Chicharito's reaction after the final whistle said it all as to what it meant for the club to be starting the season the way they are and taking back El Trafico. I mean, Jonathan DeSantos screaming his head off, ripping his jersey off, running to the corner flag to the supporter section is something that gave me chills and is giving me chills just sitting here talking about it because it reminds you of times pre-COVID. It reminds you of those times. And it was the first, as soon as it happened, it was the first time that I was like taken back to pre-COVID where we had full stands and stadiums at 100% capacity. So I absolutely love that and what it meant to the Galaxy to win that game. Yeah, rivalry games just mean more. And I remember making the funny comments. He's like, oh, he took his jersey off, but we didn't even get any nipples and he still got a yellow card. But apparently he did take his little heart rate monitor sports brawl thingy off. But, yeah, it sent chills down my spine. At first, I didn't even realize, like, I'm on Twitter trying to tweet about the games, and Mike D's locked in on the game, and he's like, yo, that's, that was one of the best moments I've seen since the lockdown last year. And as I watched the replay and his immediate reaction, Jonathan Dos Santos, first of all, he entered the frame on the television. He was outside of the frame when Chicharito passed that ball, and it went past the first Galaxy guy, and he just came in slotted it near stick and he didn't miss a beat he hit it near stick absolute worm burner and he immediately uh diverged to the right towards the corner flag to his LA Galaxy supporters and just to see that jubilation on his face and how excited and how much that moment meant to him it was it was amazing to see and I, I hope we continue to see more of those moments I know Mercedes-Benz they're getting ready to open back up you know, back to 100%, I believe, this week, next week, or something like that. But Mercedes-Benz Stadium and Atlanta United fans should be excited as well. So my moment that really tugged at my heartstrings for very personal reasons was Joseph Martinez running to his head trainer, Mario Cruz, after his first goal post-ACL surgery. For me, I, I told my ACL in Don't college. Cry, I, I'm trying not to. It, it, it really does. It hurts. It, it pulls at my heartstrings here. But I tore my ACL in college, and I, I've been in this boat. Obviously not at the same level. I played D3. This guy's playing at the highest level of professional soccer in America. 
And just to know that really all you have in that moment, in those nine to 10 months or whatever, is you have your self-belief and you have those people that are working with you to get you back to your optimum potential. And that is exactly what Mario Cruz was to Joseph Martinez. And we're in week four, going into week five now of MLS. And Joseph Martinez is still trying to find his legs. And, you know, even though he still knows that, that he still knows he's not 100% fit. He's not going to play a full 90. And he probably still can't move the way that he used to. And mentally that weighs on a player. And the longer that he went without scoring a goal was detrimental to his confidence. So for him to be able to go in to score on, well, it wasn't Orlando, but it was another Florida team. So he's a Florida team killer. So for him to get that monkey off his back, to get that weight lifted off of his shoulders is going to make a world of difference for him for the rest of this season. And just congratulations to him. I've been there. I empathize. I sympathize. And man, I, I can't imagine that rush of adrenaline when he scored that goal. And I wonder, I, I wonder when he, you know, when he scored the goal, if he had thought beforehand, like, I'm going to run immediately over to my trainer. Because whereas so it felt good for Joseph Martinez, I'm sure it felt good for Mario Cruz as well. He knew that he was working with a top-level elite MLS talent. And so it, it has to feel good to be able to see your work really transpire and this guy really get back to full strength and start doing what he does best, and that is scoring goals. Atlanta fans, be excited. The King is back. I, I think that it's amazing that he scored his, his first goal since coming back from, from injury. And hopefully it's just like, you know, basketball where all you got to see is it going one time for that, for that flip to happen. But listeners, for those of you who don't know, which is probably all of you, um, Blake, I don't know if he mentioned it or not, but he tore his ACL in one of the best seasons we had ever had in our collegiate career at the end of the season right before we were getting ready to move past conference um, championship to go on to regional uh, NCAAs. So Blake resonates with this, with this injury um, a lot more than I can because I never had an injury like that. So uh, at the beginning of this, him talking about it, you hear him getting a little choked up. It's, it's for good reason. Ah, peace and love ACL club. Uh, we've, uh, whoever's been through it, you all know to struggle. So all right, so I'm going to stop getting all emotional because I've only had one glass of wine and just talking about that whole process has got me going. But, guys, now we want to introduce to you all our brand new segment. All the, all the small, small things. things. <laughs> we probably butchered that one, but shout out to Blink182. I DM'd him the other day trying to get permission to actually play the segment on the show. Anchor podcasts who we record through. We can't just clip all the small things out of there. we got to play the whole two-minute and 30-second clip, and we ain't doing it. But this is our new clip, All the Small Things, where we cover tactical details of the games that may have been missed live. Mike D., what small details stood out to you in last weekend's slate of games? So there was some that originally came to mind, but because other MLS <laughs> podcasts decided that they wanted to cover them first, I didn't want to follow in their footsteps, so – I decided, damn it, Matt Doyle. Damn it, Matt Doyle. Uh, extra time. Uh, I'm going to highlight a sequence of play from the LA Galaxy and El Trafico, and it was not from the Derek Williams tackle that led to Chicharito's goal, and it was not Chicharito's work in the box to find space for a low-driven ball across the 18 to set up Jonathan DeSantos. I'm going to highlight the box. I'm going to highlight the work that came before the ball even got to Chicharito in the buildup of that play. 
by Cameron Dunbar. Dunbar deals with a not-so-great pass at midfield and continues with the ball down the left wing only to be swarmed by three LAFC players with no help. He tries to take them on. Ultimately, he loses the ball in the left and in the the corner. What is it? What happens for me here, and what does it for me, is his willingness not to give up on the play and to keep the pressure on. This pressure led to LAFC's Jesus David Murillo coughing up the ball not long after Dunbar gave it up to Dunbar retrieving it, keeping the play alive, and then finding Chicharito where he does his magic to find Jonathan Dos Santos blazing in from the midfield to score the goal that ultimately sealed the game. Not to mention, this kid was a sub, and he's 18 years old, so great attitude and determination to work hard for your team. It's the small things. It's, it's the small things to me, too, Mike. Sometimes it's just as much about you receive a ball from the left-hand side and you just shape your body like Santiago Sosa to play a beautiful diagonal ball. Maybe that'll be my small thing next week, but it's not this week, all right? My small thing this week comes from the MLS assist leader through four weeks, Fabio for New York Red Bulls. Okay, and this was his assist to Frankie Amaya to open Frankie Amaya's account, who I talked about earlier. Caden Clark, our guy that's probably going to Red Bull Leipzig next year, he's embracing that high-press system. And he pressed the Toronto right back, won the ball out as they were trying to build out of the back, took a couple touches toward the corner of the 18. Fabio was literally backing up to about the corner of the six. He had his back to the goal. He had a defender on either side of him. Caden Clark found him at about the corner of the six. There were two defenders also converging on him coming from the 18. So he had four defenders on him. He took one touch with the inside of his foot, waited for those two players that were at the top of the 18 who would have been guarding Frankie Amaya. He waited for those two guys to take a couple steps toward him, waited until that perfect last second, and just towed it back to Frankie Amaya for him to play at a near stick. To show that much patience and composure with four players around you is top-notch for me, and that is why he is leading the MLS in assists. It was, it, it, was, it, it was beautiful for me, and just the timing of it. He waited, and he baited these guys. He waited until the perfect moment, until, oh, they're far too committed to me to be able to make that recovery and get back to Frankie Amaya. So that, for me, is the small things. Sometimes those small things come down to not even seconds, slivers of play. Um, so shout out to Fabio and his four assists. It was absolutely beautiful. But guys, we're going to continue the all the small things segment throughout uh, all of our episodes. So if you guys see anything that maybe we don't even see, because Matt Doyle, he saw, he's who did you have? Wando at Wando. first. He had Wando. Double move, bro. Double moves and teaching Caden Cow. Absolutely phenomenal sec- segment on MLS.com. Go read that whole section. I also had uh, Pipa Iguain and his overlapping run. For Lewis Morgan, who, you know, zigzagged in between George Bello and Santi Sosa and then blasted home the equalizer. So, Matt Doyle, you got the eye for these small things. So, just maybe take something less obvious and let us novices get in on some of this fun and some of this action. But, listeners, we're going to take a quick break for a word from our sponsors, Added Time Outfitters. Stick around because after the break, we will have an open and passionate conversation regarding the Columbus Crew D brand with a very special guest. We'll see you guys in 60 seconds. We all love the beautiful game. We spend countless hours watching, tweeting, discussing, playing, and talking about the sport. And we all have our favorite memories when our teams made history. 
Moments like Liverpool's miracle in Istanbul or Celtic's 2-1 triumph over arguably the best Barca side ever. Those moments that keep us coming back for more. But what if you could carry those moments with you all the time? At a Time Outfitters creates soccer-inspired wristbands to let you wear those memories on your wrist. Each reversible elastic design gives supporters of the beautiful game a unique way to rep their favorite team in any setting. With wristbands for your favorite teams from across Europe, the USA, and beyond, each added time design incorporates a 90-minute story from that famous match. Check out all 24 of Added Time Outfitters' current designs on the web at www.addedtime.com or follow us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter at Added Time Outfitters. Welcome back to MLS Gone Wild Season 3, Episode 10. Head over to AddedTimeOutfitters.com for all your soccer-inspired wristbands and apparel. Use code GONEWILD at checkout for 10% off your entire order. Joining us now is 97.1 The Fan on-air host, lifelong Columbus Crew fan, and one of the founders of Massive Report, J.D. Smith, a.k.a. T-Bone. T-Bone, welcome to MLS Gone Wild. Yeah. It's great to be on. I appreciate uh, you guys having me. I wish it were under better circumstances, obviously. But uh, yeah, I've enjoyed listening to your guys' podcasts. So it's great to talk with some other crew fans and uh, some crew fans from around the country. So very cool. Appreciate the support, man. Yeah, crew fans just aren't in Columbus. It might already be a global brand. We're both here in Virginia Beach. But before we get into that, JD, right now, despite the crew situation or Columbus SC situation, how are you doing tonight? Uh, yeah, I'm good. Uh, as far as, well, here's what I've been doing the last 72 hours. I've been doom scrolling on Twitter. I've been sending way more tweets than any possible human should be like doing. It's not healthy what I'm doing, but that's how I'm coping. Um, I'm texting people trying to like bug them for information and ask them about how this happened. And then I find stuff out and they tell me I can't say it. And then I see it happen where it's like in an article online and I'm like, well now that's out there. So I guess I can talk about it. So yeah, I got, I got some insight on a few different places and ways that this has gone down, but just know it is, it is really exhausting is the word that I keep coming back to with all this. It is exhausting right now to be a crew fan. And that is not the way it should be. That is not how it's supposed to be. Absolutely not. And it, we've been through this before when Anthony Precourt tried to drag the Columbus crew to Austin FC. And that was one thing. And the loyal fans of the Columbus crew, again, the crew fought to save this team. And Jimmy and D Haslam saw that and bought into the passion that was the Columbus crew fans were like, you know what, we're going to buy this team and take majority ownership. And we are going to keep this team in Columbus and they will be the crew and they came out in January 2020 I believe and said you know we're not interested in rebranding we're going to be the crew but this past 96 hours as a Columbus crew fan has been hell and the Columbus crew are no longer the crew moniker is gone we are now Columbus SC as we know it official Monday afternoon and not only are we Columbus SC one of the best logos which you can see on my shirt Mike D's shirt on the flags behind us is no more and now we have a very generic vertical ohio flag with a block c that resembles the roofing of the new crew stadium it's a lot to unpack and it's a lot to analyze and process especially just 24 hours withdrawn from it t-bone how are you feeling about this whole rebrand and the transparency from the club awful awful um so yeah i think there there's multiple parts to this there's two main little 
wrinkles to this, right? The first wrinkle, the first thing is just the basics of what they did, right? They foisted upon us a shitty logo that looks like it was designed by a seventh grader. No offense to seventh graders. I feel bad even putting it in their category, but it feels like it was done by like a seventh grader who is pretty skilled with artwork, but not ready to like go and have that as a career yet. They, they've given us that and, and taken the crew out of the name, even though it's technically it's going to be doubled down on and it's really a part of our identity. And it's uh, all that is frustrating, right? So that's one aspect of this and that's all stupid. But the bigger problem I have now and the one I think most crew fans have now, regardless of how you felt about like, ah, the logo wasn't so bad, but I really hate they took the crew out or man, I, I don't really care about the crew being in the name, but that logo is just awful. Whatever you fall on that, I think we should all be able to agree on this. When you are the stewards of a team, when you're the owners of a team and the fan base in unison says, we don't like this. We don't want this. Stop what you're doing. Why are you doing this? Your response should not be, let's jam it down their throats and let's force them to like this. Your response should be, whoa, we didn't expect that. Honestly, maybe they didn't. They didn't realize it was going to be so bad. We didn't think it would be this poorly received. We thought a few people would just not like change, but we didn't know it would be this loud and this bad. We need to apologize. Like where I am right now is I need to see from the crew ownership, I need to see some hats in hands and some apologies. And I need to see that not from Dr. Pete Edwards, although He's been out in front trying to help explain this thing. I need to see the Haslam family out there. I need to see them talking about why they did this and how they've screwed it up. Even if they still say, well, we're still going to go through with this. We've got all these logos. We, we're keeping the logo. We're changing all. They need to apologize for how they did this because it has been poorly managed the entire way through. So on the one hand, I still want them to change the logo, change the name back, all that stuff. But on the other hand, I need them to actually own up to the fact that they totally and royally fucked this up. Pardon my French. I'm all for change. I, I never wanted to see my beloved crew go to what all of MLS is going to now. They're trying to Europeanize an American league and everybody's SC or FC or what have you. You know, I, I'm okay with change if change is done the right way. And this was absolutely not done the correct way. They came out yesterday and they were like, well, they had, they had an emergency meeting with some of the Nordeca members, and they already knew how they felt after their meeting on Friday. And they tried to seek approval again, and it still wasn't heard by the front office. So it's been such a tone-deaf message that the front office is trying to send, like, we really don't care what you say. This is what we are doing. And if they are naive enough and blind enough to not see the pushback they received after the leaks were pushed out, they are blind to the Columbus crew loyal fan base. Yeah, I, I feel like that's exactly the case. I feel like they totally messed this up from, from the get-go. Um, there's a good article kind of timelining a little bit of this. There's, if, for people who haven't seen them, there's, there was an article by The Athletic that had a little more detail on the meeting with some of the crew supporters that happened. So the timeline on this is a few months ago, there were a couple members of the Nordeca who are leadership members who are high-level leadership in the Nordeca um, one of those people is a lawyer. One of those people is, uh, a guy who works in marketing for a living. It's what he does branding and marketing. 
Um, those two looked at this and were asked to sign NDAs. That's in an ESPN story. You can read more about it on ESPN.com. I think it was Brian Strauss maybe that had it anyway. But in that meeting, um, that is where they first put this forward and said, here's what we're doing. And so this was like, not like, Hey, here's what we're thinking of doing. Here's some ideas we have. It's like, this is what it is. This is kind of what we've come up with. This was back in January of this year. And when those two looked at it again, high level leadership level, Nordeca members, they both said, can we advise you on this? Can we give you some feedback? And they said, sure. Crew did. And that's where they put forward uh, a, a one of the two members. I think it was the marketing director, Jeff. Um, he put out like a report. He generated a report from a marketing standpoint saying, here's what's wrong with this. Here are the things I recommend that you can fix with it. And the crew asked them point blank, like, how do you think this will go? And his response was, it will be catastrophic if you do this. So then, according to the stories, they heard nothing more until Friday of this past week. So we're in May. That was January. No feedback, no response, no interactions, no nothing. May, they dropped this on them and say, here you go. This is what we're doing. And that's the meeting where it got contentious. That's the meeting where other members of the Nordeca who were not in that initial meeting, but their leader level people, they were the ones, you know, in that meeting saying this is terrible and how dare you do this and all that stuff. So I drop in on this on Saturday because I was not aware of any of that happening. And I didn't even see some of the Twitter stuff going on until during the game. I found out that like this was kind of bubbling up. So um, I have a contact with, multiple people up at the crew, some who are at very high levels of the crew. And so I reached out to a few of them and said, can any of you tell me anything about this? Is this, is this a real thing? And all I knew at the time, I had not seen the, the new logo redesign. I had just heard they're dropping the crew from the name. And what I was told at the time was, hey, look, we're going to tweak the logo. That was a term that was told to me. Tweak the logo and we're going to, yeah, Crew's not going to be in the official name. We're going from that to Columbus SC, but we're still going to call them the crew. And it's just like, it's all that stuff you heard about like Arsenal and the Gunners and Chelsea and the Blues and Tottenham and Spurs. Like it's just a nickname, but it's still a nickname. It's a big part of our identity and whatever. So when I heard that on Saturday, I was like, okay, I can't really say anything about this, but I get what they're doing. I don't really like it, but as long as I still call them the crew, who cares? Right. Then Sunday is when I saw the logo. <laughs> And I reached out to a few people who I knew were in those meetings and asked them, hey, is this legit or not? And they said, yeah, this is, this is the logo. This is what we saw. This is real. And that's when I lost my mind. Like, <laughs> but that's, that's not a tweak of a brand. That is a full-on, complete, absolute destruction of whatever the logo is. And I, I don't, I, what now is getting to me is how this is being presented. Like Bez has been out there. Tim Bez Pachanko has been out there saying things like, oh, it's a just, you know, it's a, it's a minor brand adjustment. It's a little tweak and enhancement. It's like, no, you, you took the logo, threw it in the trash bin, took crew out of the name. And then they're trying to tell me what's the phrase, you know, don't pee on my leg and tell me it's raining. Like that's what you're doing right now. It's insulting from them. The way yeah, that they're trying to sell this is insulting. They're calling it a rebrand. I think Blake's calling it a dbrand and, and Twitter maybe calling it a dbrand. And that's exactly yeah. what it is. I mean, where is the 96? Somebody show me in the logo where the 96 is because I can't find it. 
You know what I mean? And to, to the earlier point, this execution is just completely done wrong. Completely done wrong. They've done everything right for the crew in the past year. Everything right. You know, they rebuilt in the offseason. They got a new stadium coming. They're trying to bring fans into the stadium, which is something that they've been working on for a long time. They saved the crew. And now that all of these things are going in the right direction, they want to take a shit on it. Well, and you know what I think it is? Honestly, you're right. Like, they, they've definitely screwed this up. But I, I, in talking with multiple people behind the scenes and people who have been in contact with other people behind the scenes, to a man, almost every person I've talked to has said they, they didn't do this maliciously as far as the logo and redesign. They're just really dumb. When it like like it was it was perhaps you can say what was malicious and stupid is when you have well-meaning people telling you like this is not going to go well and you ignore them that's arrogant okay that is flat out arrogant but arrogant can still be stupid without being malicious you know mm-hmm. like so it feels like they thought they knew what they were doing they thought okay a couple of fans have a problem with it but pff, whatever we'll be fine. We talked to all these because they keep bringing up all those fans they talked to. Most of those surveys that were done were done with stadium enhancements. You know, what do you want to see in the new stadium? What do you like about the stadium? Oh, hey, by the way, what do you think of the brand? What's what's the strongest thing in the brand? Is it crew or is it Columbus? You know, and of course, people are like, I love Columbus. I live in Columbus. Columbus. We, you know, love Columbus. And they took that and then kind of twisted it into like, oh, that means we can get rid of the crew. And that if you'd ever put that on a survey and said, do you think we should drop the crew from our official name? It would be a hundred percent. That's don't do that. <laughs> that's bad. They never asked that question. They just kind of hinted at it and then thought they got an answer. They wanted to do this for whatever reason. They wanted to go to the Columbus SC thing. And I still don't know why, but again, I I'm still viewing that more as stupidity than maliciousness at this point. Maybe I'm wrong. My question is, do you think, and Blake went to Blake's been doing a lot of what you're doing. Blake has been living on Twitter. Blake lives on Twitter anyway, but Blake in the past 92 (laughs) hours has been living on Twitter doing the very same thing that you were talking about in the beginning. But my question is something that he brought up that I want to touch on now is, do you think that they would have, do you think that their intentions were to keep the crew as a nickname all along? Or do you think that with the overwhelming response of the the pushback that it's almost like a bullet uh, or bandaid on a bullet hole therefore like they got all this pushback and it's like okay well now we have to keep the crew now we have to keep the crew i i don't know i don't know for sure i think okay. that's a really good question to ask and i i i had what i did again because i didn't know all this was kind of coming in until after i talked to some of these people but i had some conversations with people in the front office who told me on saturday like yeah you know people i know are going to be mad about this crew sc thing but look, we can all still call it the crew, right? I mean, we like they, they were literally saying that to me on Saturday. And I got a call back from someone after I spoke to them about an hour after I spoke to them, I got a call back where they said, Hey, we were just in meetings for another hour. What do you think like the regular fans are going to think? Not that the hardcore Nordeca fans, but what do you think as a you know person who does media in Columbus? What do you think the average fans are going to think of this? And I said, I think it's going to be very confusing. I think they're going to be confused. And so what did they do with that on Sunday and Monday? They came out and were like, we're Columbus SC, but we're the crew. But also crew is not, it's, it's not in the legal, but it's here. And, oh, our Twitter handle now is Columbus crew, but we're Columbus SC. And like, they've exhausted it. They, they like the feedback they're getting. They're just, for whatever reason, they're not listening to it or they're shoehorning it into something else. Here's my personal 
thought, it's educated or not, but this is my personal guess. I think Jimmy and D Haslam or JW or Whitney or whatever other Haslam's, whoever, whoever all is involved, it is uh, this reeks of Haslam decision-making because everyone is telling them it's a bad idea and they're still going through with it because, well, they want to. And I get the vibe that some of the people here that you're seeing out in the media that are saying, no, 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 it's a great idea. I get the vibe that behind their little veil of their eyes, they're going, God, I know this sucks, but I have to do it because it's my job. The Haslam said they want to do this. This is what we have to do. So really the Haslam's need to feel this and the Haslam's should be the ones to come out and apologize. They need to come out and apologize for the way this has been handled. I'm not saying they're going to change the logo, but they should probably do that too. Uh, but at the very least, they should apologize for the way this has been handled because it's been totally and completely screwed up from Jump Street. Yeah, and we absolutely need to see that. They're going to definitely hit a – they're going to take a hit in merch sales. They're going to take a hit in ticket sales. And we're getting ready to open up the brand-new stadium July 3rd. And when you look at what's happened in the past two years or so, you know, we got Tim Bezbachenko, we got Caleb Porter, we win MLS Cup – we go out in this offseason and we build one of the deepest rosters in MLS history. And now we're opening this brand new state of the art stadium in downtown Columbus. And for me, I think that's marketing in its own. I think that is enough. I don't think that we need to do a complete rebrand. And for me, I ask myself, I'm like, okay, they want to globalize Columbus, but really what we're doing at this point is we're alienating the fans that have been loyal to this city for so long like JD, yourself and I, and Mike D's a new crew fan, a very loyal one at that. And they're alienating us and they're trying to bring in new fans, but I'm not a marketing strategist or professional or anything like that. But I don't think what they're doing with the new logo and the new name and everything that they're doing, I don't think it's going to bring in new fans. I think this is going to hurt them. And ultimately, I think this is going to hurt the existing fan base. We've already, we've seen Twitter, we've seen Twitter, JD, and you talked about it and I wanted to bring it up as soon as you said it, but there's a gif out there and it says, this is fine. And everything is on fire around you. That is Jimmy and D Haslam right now saying this is fine. And the fire is all of the crew fans that have been loyal to this club for a long time. Here's what it is. Cause don't forget too, the Haslam's have been through this with the Browns where they screwed up that, you know, Jersey and, you know, whatever the logo and everyone pretty much ripped it, said it looks stupid. <laughs> and then they still sold a bunch of those jerseys. I saw them all over the place when I went up to Browns games. So I bet you what they're thinking is, yeah, okay. A lot of the vocal people are, are all up in arms about it, but they'll get over it. I know that for a fact, the organizational thinking on this, I've heard it from multiple people who were in these meetings. They were told at different times that the thought process was, well, we might lose X number of fans, like 5,000, 10,000, whatever number of fans might get pissed and they might get their feelings hurt. But if we bring in 30 or 40,000 new fans, that's still in that win. And it's like, uh, number one, I don't know who in the world was like, they have a championship, they have a new stadium. I'm not really that interested in them. Oh, wait, they've got this cool logo with a triangle just floating in the middle of nowhere. I can't wait to buy tickets. Like, I don't know what they think this rebrand is, but it's definitely not that. Um, so I, here's, here's what they need to hear from crew fans. Cause I think the good thing is like, how do we move forward on this? Right. For me as a crew fan, I mean, I've said like, I may or may not, I, 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 well, if they continue with this, I will not be renewing my season tickets next year. That's not to say I won't go to a game. It's not to say I won't go to multiple games. I'll still watch the team play. But there's no rule saying that to be a great fan, you have to have season tickets. 
I'm going to enjoy the season this year. I'm going to go to the stadium this year. I want to see that new stadium. I can't wait to go into it. But, I mean, I'm not planning on giving – I already paid for my season tickets this year. Next year's the question. And if they don't fix this, like the fire did, where they admitted they were wrong and changed their brand, they're going back to a new – or something else next year that's hopefully going to be a lot better. If they don't do something similar as the crew, next year I will not be buying season tickets. I'll go, but I'm not going to go every week. I'll watch the games on TV. I might buy tickets from StubHub because I don't want to give the money to the front office. If they're going to be this stubborn about it, I can be stubborn too. But as far as moving forward, if they would come out and apologize and say, we got this wrong, we screwed it up, I think the way forward is for them to involve the fan base, this hardcore supporters groups, some of the longtime ticket holders, and some new fans too. I think there's, there should be a cross-section of everybody have a little council where you say, all right, here's what we definitely want out of a new logo. And we're going to call it the crew still. We are going to go back to calling it Columbus Crew. We're going to drop the SC. We're going to call it the crew. But then maybe involve the fans and come up with a logo that, okay, you don't want a circle, fine. You don't want this, fine. You don't want that, fine. Make something better than that stupid C pennant logo trash. Make it something that the fans can feel like is a part of their identity. And then go forward. You know, like, I think there is a pathway forward, but they have to be able to say, we screwed this up and we're going to change it and we're sorry. And they can't wait for three years to do that. They've got to do that now. So if every, every minute that goes by, they run the risk of losing more people as far as season ticket holders and as far as people who are going to develop harder and harder feelings against this club. I don't know about you guys. Do you feel right now like going to a friend of yours and be like, hey, man, I'm going to be back in town of Columbus. Let's go watch a crew game. Would you invite someone into this right now? This feels so exhausting and frustrating. I'll go. I know what it is, but I don't know that I feel like inviting anybody into this right now because it just is such a drama field cesspool right now. It's just not cool. Yeah, it's not no, a way I, to invite a new fan into it. And to your point about, oh, they could possibly lose this many fans and then gain new fans, there's a middle ground there. You can do all of this, retain your loyal fans you've had, retain the Nordeca, and still bring in new fans with the appropriate execution of a rebrand or an upgraded branding you know, model. I'm going to be bluntly honest right now. You know, you're opening a brand new stadium July 3rd. The goal of that is to bring in as many people, fill the stands, have them passionate about the defending MLS Cup champions. And then you do this. And you are so tone deaf to the Nordeca, La Tabina, Amaria, and the crew union that you, you don't listen to what they have to say and their advice and all their backlash. And you think that we're not filling the stands right now even if we could, even if we had the capability of filling historic crew stadium, hundred percent, we are not on a weekend week out basis. We haven't ever. And if you think that you're going to do that now in a brand new stadium after pulling this. Oh, that's is it. it. Right. Yeah. Is it a publicity stunt? I don't know, but no, we're not it's, going to but, do but it. it's, it's an anti-publicity stunt. Cause it, it all it's done. It's done. So I mean, think about how many millions of dollars of negative at, like if, if Anthony Precourt could have run ads, against the crew to stop people from buying tickets, right? How many millions of dollars would he have to spend to be as effective as the crew have been themselves over the last 96 hours, whatever you said, you know? 
of the way this was handled, the way that the fans have said, we don't like this. And they're like, cool, we're going to slap the logo all over the city. I don't know if you guys have seen that, but in Columbus, there's uh, in downtown Columbus, there's the experience Columbus uh, little headquarters there right near the arena district. And it's, it's just like a sign out front. Well, they put that new C logo with the little triangle over the, over the C in Columbus, in experience Columbus. They did it on a couple other signs too, kind of like they do where they X out the M during OSU Michigan week. And it's just like, guys, everyone has said they hate is specifically that C logo. They hate that as much as anything. And you're slapping it up everywhere you can. Why? Like, they're just at a point now where it's antagonistic and if they don't get control of themselves and understand how much damage they're doing there will be people who just say i'm not just not going to buy season tickets next year i'm going to give up my tickets this year i don't i want a refund i don't want to be there i know a lot of people aren't going to buy the merch that's already been out there that a lot of you know the nordic has already said don't buy the merch hurt them in their pocketbook yeah i don't plan Uh, on buying the merch no but i i will say this you guys both have your crew gear on and I feel guilty not putting mine on, but I'll tell you what, every time I go out the next week or two, I would encourage crew fans to wear as much of the old gear as possible and like show that crew logo to everyone and have it be front of mind so that people are thinking about the crew and thinking about what this team is and thinking about all this crap. And when they see that logo, when they see the old logo, just reinforce that like, this is our logo. This is what we have. We are the crew. And then, you know, if they want to pump out the new logo, let's see which one gets more traction. Like, I, I think for me, that's how I'm going to protest. I'm just going to wear my crew gear as much as I can so people see the, the new logo or the old logo and are reminded of like, oh, yeah, the crew. Oh, aren't they changing that? That's so stupid. This is a good logo. Like, just let's keep that in the forefront. Let's just not give that up and say, oh, well, it's done. They already put some signs up. I guess it's over. It's not over. None of this is over. We can still fight this and change this, but we got to stay unified and we got to keep the voice going. Yeah, JD, that's a perfect segue into something that you retweeted earlier, and it's a quote. I want to bring it up and I have a question to follow. So the quote is by Dennis Bergkamp, when you start supporting a football club, you don't support it because of the trophies or a player or history. You support it because you found yourself somewhere there, found a place where you belong. Now, guys, I think this is an important question that all crew fans need to ask each other and ask themselves. Why did you start supporting the crew? Oh, yeah. That's a great question. Um, My initial reason for going to games was because it was something to do. Um, For people who live in Columbus, like the Columbus Clippers were a thing to do, right? It's minor league baseball. Um, And then we got the Blue Jackets and all that. But, like, the crew were the first, you know, major league sports team that came to town. And so I started going to games mostly because I had buddies who were soccer fans um, who like played in high school. And so I was in high school when the team came in. So um, I went with them because they liked it. And I was like, I'll go along. Sure. It seems fun. Hang out with you guys, go watch some sport. I don't really know soccer much, but then as I would go, I, I like found the fan base that they had like V army back in the day it was one of the early supporters groups. And those guys were just, they're always chanting. They always kind of looked like hippies. They always had drums. And I just thought, well, those guys are interesting. What's going on over there? And, you know, then you'd go back, you see the same people again, you started to develop connections and fan bases, but it was 2002 when the world cup came in or when the world cup happened in Japan and Korea, the games were at two o'clock in the morning, five o'clock in the morning, seven o'clock in the morning, something like that. So they had viewing parties at crew stadium for all the games, not just the U S games. 
So it was over the summer. And like I said, my buddies and I, we were all college guys by that point. So they were back in town and we would just get up at one o'clock in the morning, go over to the stadium and hang out there all night up until seven, eight o'clock, drag our asses home, fall asleep until two o'clock in the afternoon, get up the next day, go do it again. And I just loved watching in the camaraderie of the soccer fans. That's where I really got the game of soccer, the camaraderie. And so then it's like, that was right next to the stadium. And it was like, oh, wait, who, who's on this team? Oh, Brian McBride is on this team. He plays here. Like, it just was this instant connection of like, duh, I could be watching Brian McBride every week. Why am I not going to this more? So that was around when I really got into it. And then the Nordeca happened in 2008. That was another connection point for me of like, oh, good. Now we've got this European sounding giant chanting section. This is fun. Um, they won MLS Cup that year, which also was like a perfect storm. That was pretty cool. So, I mean, I know that's a long answer, but the point is at every level, I was connected to other people. I was connected to those fans. And it is. It's a place that you belong. And I want that new stadium to feel like I belong too. And you belong and all these other people belong. I want people to feel welcome there. Right now, it doesn't feel very welcoming. It feels like they're looking for other people to come here that aren't the main supporters who have been here for 20-plus years trying to support this team. And that's disheartening. You got to take care of those that have taken care of you. and. JD, to piggyback on your, your story about how you became a crew supporter. Uh, for me, it, it went back to the days when I first started playing soccer. And, you know, you were in high school when Brian McBride and those guys were playing in Ohio Stadium. I was probably six or seven years old watching those guys play. And Brian McBride was and probably still is one of my favorite crew players ever. And I'll never forget being a ball boy for the Columbus crew when they first opened Crew Stadium. And I had one of my birthday parties under the tent behind the South yeah. End goal. And I got the, uh, the team ball autographed by all the guys. And then growing up, my, one of my best friends, Greg Graven, we mentioned him earlier in the podcast. Uh, him and I got heavily involved in Ordeca, although we were never members. We were always sitting front row. And there's one of the coolest pictures of myself that I've ever seen standing front row screaming at, I believe, the 2008 team that won the MLS Cup. It wasn't in the playoffs or anything, but it was that season. And, you know, and then after that, I played – at Crew Stadium while I was high school and I've continued to support them throughout everything and this past year you know we started the podcast and I went back and I was one of the 1200 people at the MLS Cup final and I got to sing uh what's the what's the song called at the very end of the games when we win oh the uh wise men say wise men say, say. Uh, I, that was the first time I'd ever got to sing it, and it, it just felt amazing to be a crew fan at that point. And even this year, like I said, back in 2008, I wasn't a Nordeca member, and this past year I decided to become a, a member of Nordeca, even though I'll probably never make it to a game this year because I live in Chesapeake. Um, so it's it's been a long stretch, and it's just my love for the Columbus crew and the black and gold have – it's just developed over a span of 20 years for me. You know, the first six six years of the club, I was too little to really care. But the past 20 years, it's just every year it's grown and grown and grown. And, and for us to get to this point, it it hurts. It really does. It feels, you know, and I didn't mention, but I played for the, the, the crew youth teams growing up as well. So, you know, I always wore the crew badge over my heart as well. So I wasn't ever playing for the academy, but just playing for the youth team. So it's I, I do take this this personally. I, I don't take it easy. Um, I agree with you. I, dude, I, I feel it. And, and the other thing is I think that they have to keep in mind is whatever the new 
direction. Like I, I, their thought is 20 years from now, kids are going to think of this logo we came up with today, the way that you and I think of these logos that were in the past, right? Whether it's the hard hats or whether it's the circular logo they have now. The reality though is the process matters, you know, like it isn't about necessarily what you come up with, although that's important. The end result has to be good. But the process is shitty and alienating and making a lot of people go, this sucks. This is exhausting. Why are they doing this? That confusion is not good for any brand. And soccer, as you guys know, for people who don't watch a ton of soccer, it can be very confusing. If you're new to the sport, if you didn't play it growing up, if you didn't watch it growing up and you didn't have someone to explain it to you, you tune in and it's like, this guy starts running, he's wide open, he's got the ball, and the goalkeeper stops and just lets him score, and he doesn't even celebrate because he just turns and trots back up the field. And you're like, well, he kicked it in the goal. What? Oh, there's a little man with a flag standing there just holding it straight up in the air, and everybody just knows what that means. I don't know what that means. That's offside. But if you don't know what that is, it's confusing, right? And then Champions League and then FA Cup and U.S. Open Cup and – CONCACAF and like all these terms get just thrown around and we've learned them and we know them, but that is all confusing. What the crew weren't until this week was confusing. All the crew had, I mean, they were confusing like normal soccer, but they're the champions and they have a new stadium and they got saved by the fans. So the fans championship stadium, it's all there. Like everything you want, great fans, great stadium, great team. And then this week they were like, Oh, by the way, Enjoy this fucked up logo. And it's like, what? Now I'm confused. I thought you guys were smart. I thought you had great fans. Now all of a sudden the fans are all threatening not to come. Like what? What happened? That is confusion. And you've added confusion where it didn't need to be. And that's what just really among, along with everything else, it's just, you were 10 feet off the runway about to land the plane. And they said, you know what we should do? We should probably hit the eject button. And they're not wearing their parachute. Like, why? Like, you're right there. Just land the damn plane and let's go and let's have a great 2021 and on. But no, they had to screw it up with this stupid logo. And it just drives me insane. Drives me insane. Don't, don't fix something that ain't broke. Mike D, I don't want to leave you alienated like the crew front office did to all its fans. Why did you become a crew fan before we get off here? So, as Blake had mentioned, uh, JD, um, I actually didn't have an MLS team for uh, before I met until I met, until I met Blake. Um, and you, that tweet talked about, you know, you find yourself and you find something that you connect with. And so for me, it was finding kind of this, this friend, right. Who developed into what is now a, a brother that I never had. And at the time it was Columbus crew, Columbus crew. And I met other guys in college that were also from Ohio. And I saw this, this deep love of Columbus sport in general. And it was something that I resonated with because the passion for their teams ran so deep. And especially with Blake and his friends, that passion ran deep. And it was something that I immediately connected with because I, had, I hadn't had a team. Up to that point, I was only just a Liverpool fan. And that was the first ever soccer team that I had actually liked um, because somebody, nobody else told me to like them. I just, they, I connected with them and that was my first team. And the second team was because Blake had kind of forced it down my throat and I connected with it because then I went to Columbus 
and I saw the way that people in Columbus act and I saw the way that they liked the crew and heard all of these different stories, you know, and then save the crew happened. And I was at that point, I became fully entrenched in it. And so my, my, my story is not the same as Blake's and is that I don't have this 20 year experience in history, but at some point it will get there. Um, but it goes back to that initial connection, which is finding someone who um, allowed you to find yourself within that. And that's where it started for me. Well, you know, I was going to ask you, Mike, not to turn the interview around, but you're of, of the three of us, you're the one with the least history of the team. Not to, yeah. that's not a bad thing necessarily. Like where, what, what, what did all this do to you? Like, how did you feel about this? Cause I know where I felt, I know how, you know, Blem feels and, there's a lot of, there's a lot of pent up emotion there over many, many years, but maybe we're wrong. Like for, for newer no. fans, that, no, no, no. I'm saying like, as a newer fan though, like, could you get used to something like this? Like, is it, are we being crazy and weird and stupid with like defending all of this in your mind? I'm interested in your perspective on that. No. Okay. So when this initially was leaked, I believe it was Saturday or Sunday. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we had seen some tweets. Blake immediate, Blake texted me everything on Twitter, even though I see it. Uh, so he sent me a, a, a tweet and it was, you know, this the crew is rebranding and this is what the logos leaked to look like, right? And Blake was going on a rant and and my initial thought was, why? Why? That was my initial thought. And so then, you know, we had conversations and, and this, that, and the other over text message. And what I came to the conclusion of was, I'm okay with a rebrand if it's done the right way. Everything that we've talked about here is what my conclusion came to after thinking about this over the course of the last 72 to 92 hours. But in just being a crew fan for the short time that I have, I've seen Save the Crew and I've seen what the passion is behind this team and been a part of that to a small extent. So do I, could we get, could I get used to it? I wouldn't want to get used to it. I wouldn't want to get used to it. The 96 and the logo, the flag in the background that represents, you know, the, the fans in the stands with their flags, the black and yellow flags. And I, I wouldn't want to get used to it. Um, if we were forced to, I, I think we would have no choice, but it would always be in the back of our minds, this distaste. It would always be in the back of our minds that we didn't, we weren't given a choice. It was just, you're going to, you're going to take this and you're going to like it. And so, no, I don't think that it's crew fans being absurd. I think that it's absolutely ridiculous the way in which they executed this. And then after hearing, like you said, the pushback still forcing it down everybody's throats and changing all of the logos everywhere and putting it up and saying, we don't care what you think we're going to do it anyway. Yeah. So no, I don't think that it's, it's not unwarranted at all. You're, you, you, made me think of something as you were talking about that because i know you didn't come in right at save the crew but save the crew i'm sure helped kind of galvanize you a bit you know as you were a newer fan but there are a lot of people who simply joined up and started following the crew more because of save the crew right because of the fans and because of everything that they did i'm not saying that that's why they keep rooting right you have to be a good soccer team you have to have, do all that stuff well but like that's the introduction right what logo were they looking at when Save the Crew happened, what were they introduced to? Like, I tend to think that your first logo you experience a sports team with is always going to be special. And for me, you know, that's going to be the hard hats, 
I get that they needed to change that and I get that that was beyond the times, but I still have a few pieces of memorabilia and clothing that have that on there. And every time I see it, it gives me a warm fuzzy because it's like, that's the first one I ever saw. And P and loyal crew fans still love that logo. Yeah. But, but I'm saying now like for a, a good amount of people who came in, you know, when the crew went to MLS cup in 2015 and went through save the crew and now have seen them actually win MLS cup a second time. But this time, you know, a lot more people probably, I think, got to experience it. They're all going to look at that logo as that's the championship logo. That's the Save the Crew era logo. That's the, that history that's there. They want to throw that out and say, yep, we need to change that. We need something new. So now everyone has to start over again with new memories and new something with this new logo. That doesn't breed connection. That, that makes you then once again go, all right, I got to find a reason to like this. And I just – but, yeah, I think a lot of people I – think, I think they are in the front office, just to put a bow on this, I think a lot of people in the front office – or at least in the Haslam part of the front office, they believe that the Save the Crew era was great. They are glad that it happened. They're glad they could be a part of it. They want to move from that into the new era, which is now we're this dominant MLS Cup winner. We're this perennial championship contender. We're this global icon, all that stuff. And they feel the way to do that is with a rebrand. And I don't think you need to. I think you can just be all those things and still have that logo that meant so much to so many people at various points of this history. But it's frustrating as always, guys. As I've said all night long, it's very now, frustrating. I will pound this on right now. What is dominant and what really sends home a message is winning MLS Cup on your home turf, going out and signing the deepest roster, arguably in MLS history, and then opening up a brand new state-of-the-art stadium. And if this rebrand didn't happen, it would be full on July 3rd. That, to me, is dominant. That, to me, is globally expressive. That, to me, is expanding the global name of Columbus. Yeah. It would have been great if we would have went further on CCL, and I think maybe that's where this could have all derived from, like, oh, we got this deep roster, and I don't want to dive too deep into this right now, but oh, we got this deep roster, and oh, we're in CCL, and we could be the best in CONCACAF. Let's be a global brand. But that doesn't need to be the case. We won MLS Cup. We signed some of the best signings in the offseason that we can. We have Tim Bezmachinko that does brilliant work outside of what he's just done now and made a stupid decision here with this, with the Haslams. Right. And right. So, so I, I think that we've just, we've just went astray in the way that we've went after our global, our global CONCACAF dominance. But before we continue to dive way too deep into this, JD, do you have any final thoughts? Um, I'll just add that crew supporters whoever's listening to this is a crew fan just stay strong be vocal if some idiot online tries to tell you like hey it's just a logo you're being stupid about this like no you're not i mean logos mean a lot seinfeld said it best we're rooting for laundry i mean it, it sounds cliche it sounds kind of funny but the reality is at some point lucas zellerayan will not be playing for the crew when i fell in love with the crew brian mcbride was playing for the crew stern john Mike Clark. A lot of those names don't resonate with people right now. That's okay. Those guys moved on. They did other things. They have finished their careers. A lot of people came in with Gije and Frankie Haydick and Duncan Outen and all those guys. Those guys are done too. They're not playing anymore. You know, and at some point, Lucas Zellerion, Darlington Nagby, and all these guys, Jonathan Mensa, they will not be playing soccer. The thing that stays is the identity and is the connections you make to the club. So there's nothing wrong with saying those connections are important and they need to be preserved. And if you change them every 10 years, 
You're just severing connections and expecting everyone to pick it back up again. And that burden should not be placed on the fans. The owners have got this wrong. We've got a lot of things right, but nobody's perfect. And on this one, they are flat out wrong. Well said. JD, way to close us out, man. Mike D, do you have any final thoughts, buddy? Uh, Just to build off of what JD said, front office, it's not good for the brand. No, it's not. But, guys, continue to support the team, the guys that are putting out the product yeah, on the field. Absolutely. They, are, they are the most important people repping this badge. We haven't really seen any statements come out from the players yet or whether or not they wanted this or not. I can't imagine that none of them. Well, you know what, though? I would say this. All the players want to do, they want to go out and play. Yeah. And the last thing they want to do is have to deal with this drama. So you may see mm-hmm. a few of them say things like, we support ownership or we trust our owners or whatever, but they're that that's just, that's just saying like, I'm just here. So I don't get fined. Like they're, they're just trying to get through it and get back on the field. They don't want to create more drama. So don't hold that against them. If the players do say something like that, you're right. Support the players on the field, make your voices heard to the front office, call your ticket reps. If you're thinking about canceling your season tickets, let them know. If you're not, don't, don't just make empty threats, but you're not going to buy merchandise. Don't buy it. Go buy it from Supporter Supply or one of the other great, you know, Homage or whoever else is selling crew gear. You can buy it from them too, you know, and then it doesn't go to the front office. That'll let's let that message be heard a little bit. Let's let them sweat on this a little bit. I think that's the right of the fans to do that. Somebody get Homage on the phone, get him to get a anti logo change. Anti. Oh, don't worry. <laughs> I, I got a feeling there will be a few, uh, they're pretty good at very that stuff. pointed t shirts that'll be coming out from some of these groups sooner or later. You'll oh, yeah. You'll, You'll see protest shirts for sure. I guarantee it. Yeah. Well, to close us out, JD, a.k.a. T-Bone, we appreciate you joining MLS Gone Wild tonight, man. Thanks uh, for having it, me. Yeah, absolutely. It was an open and passionate conversation about the rebrand, debrand, whatever you want to call it. We're all passionate about the Columbus crew. Um, and hopefully our voices can still be heard and we can all still make our voices be heard. Head over to Nordeca's Twitter page. They have petitions that can be signed and things like that and support the businesses like uh, Supporter Supply and Homage. But listeners, thank you for listening to season three, episode 10 of MLS Gone Wild. We're getting ready to head into our first double game week of the MLS season. So the guys, MLS season? Yeah, baby, the MLS. <laughs> if we're... If we're Columbus SC, it is the MLS. The MLS, that's right. (laughs) So so enjoy this double game week. Soak in all the action. Cheer on the Columbus crew. And we'll catch you guys next week. Peace.